This episode of Between the Levees is brought to you by O.H. Ingram River Aged Whiskey. O.H. Ingram River Aged is the only whiskey in the world aged in a floating barrel house on the Mississippi River. The constant motion of the river combines with its distinct microclimate to provoke a unique interaction between the whiskey and the barrel that is unachievable in a traditional barrel house. The Mississippi's powerful current, its humidity and extreme temperature fluctuations, ensure that the whiskey never stops working inside those barrels. It is a modern innovation inspired by tradition. Please visit IngramWhiskey.com to learn more and find your closest retailer. That's I-N-G-R-A-M-W-H-I-S-K-E-Y dot com. A message from our sponsor, the Maritime Throwdown. We're excited to announce the Maritime Throwdown's 2023 Regional Series. This industrial maritime skills competition is a great opportunity for inland mariners to demonstrate their skills in a safe and controlled environment. We aspire to foster the teamwork and communication essential to safety in the workplace while recruiting the crews of tomorrow. But the benefits don't stop there. We'll be visiting a minimum of three port cities where crews can attend training days and have the chance to compete in the Maritime Throwdown's Regional Qualifier. The finals will be held on May 31st at the Inland Marine Expo in Nashville with over $10,000 in prizes. Inland towing operators and maritime industry stakeholders will have opportunities to sponsor our events, so it's a great chance to network and connect with others in the field while building brand awareness. Join us in promoting safety and sustainability in the maritime industry and recruiting the next generation of passionate mariners. Contact us by email today at maritimethrowdown at gmail.com to schedule your training days during the 2023 Regional Series. I am joined today by Mr. John Roberts. He is the current CEO and President of Ingram Barge Company. Mr. Roberts, thank you very much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure, Tim. Thank you for having me. I uh, enjoy what you're doing. I think it's incredibly valuable, as mentioned to you earlier. I love the idea that you're putting something together that's almost a, a, of a historian type level in the barging world of which I love so much. So thank you for doing this. I seem to have found a bit of a niche audience here. It's uh, not a huge audience yet, but it's growing with each episode. So I do appreciate your, your time here today. Uh, let's begin where it all began. When, where were you born, sir? I was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. Where are you now? Yep. Shreveport. Uh, how- My parents... Uh, we're from a little town called Minden, which is north east Louisiana, about uh, 70 miles from Monroe, 30 miles uh, east of Shreveport. And I uh, was born in Shreveport and grew up there uh, predominantly on a, a Black Angus uh, cattle farm and, and pecan orchard. Matter of fact, my first job was picking pecans for my, my grandfather. Tell me about your grandfather's career and then and what, what did your parents do? My grandfather was a caretaker of, of the farm that, uh, that I'm talking about. Uh, he didn't own it, but he was a caretaker, lived on it his entire life, and him and, and my grandmother. My dad was born there, uh, but he managed this farm for, uh, for a family in North Louisiana, and he also worked in their hardware store in the little town of Minden. Dad and mother met there at Menden High School. They both graduated there. And dad, after he served in the Army, uh, went to work for Arkansas, Louisiana Gas Company as a pipeline inspector. Uh, 
the mother was a uh, legal secretary, professional legal secretary, one of the very first uh, in the state of Louisiana to get licensed or certified as such. And she worked for the district attorney there. So uh, working parents, uh, mother and dad, and uh, after dad left Arkansas Louisiana Gas Company, he went to work for a company called Pickett Food Services, where he actually repaired vending machines and ran the warehouse for uh, Doyle and GB Pickett, which I'll get to that. I don't know if you're ready for this now, but that's kind of the introduction into the barging world. GB Pickett ended up buying uh, some assets from Scott Showtan. I think it was six barges, six old single skin steam barges and uh, three boats and was delivering six oil for international paper from Houston to Monroe, Louisiana and Houston to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And he sent my dad to Houston, Texas to learn the business because he was just investing. He, he bought the equipment, and was the chief investor in, in the project, but he needed somebody that he knew and trusted to, to learn the business. And he sent my father. So that was the entry into the uh, barging world for the, the Roberts family. Uh, How old were you at the time? Oh, my goodness. It was probably, I was probably 10 years old. I think the first time I stepped on foot of barge, so was, I was 10. It was actually in Monroe, Louisiana, a big old single skin barge pumping six hole. It was kind of a cool setting. Uh, dad picked me up. We were still living in Minden. My dad was commuting to Houston and uh, you'll get some entertainment out of that knowing that I live in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin and commute to Nashville, Tennessee. But uh, he uh, picked me up and took me to, to Monroe to see a barge. They were pumping six oil, and I thought that was that was really cool. But uh, 10 years old, I thought, my goodness, I could get, get to see somebody getting paid to spit in a cargo tank. That old black hole was so thick, the only way that you knew sometimes that the pump was working is you, you'd see the old guys do that so they could make sure that they were getting good suction on that six oil. Of course, you had the steam coming off, the towboat there and got to meet the uh, the folks that were working on the on the boat and had lunch with them. It was just so cool. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, that was my first introduction to to that. I had no idea what my dad was doing when he went to Houston. I knew he was working for a boat company, but that to me, a boat was something you threw an outboard motor on and went fishing or duck hunting out of. And, uh, to see that, it was just this magnificent piece of equipment or two pieces of equipment of both barge and stuck with me all these years. I was in my late 20s before I stepped foot on a barge and I uh, was always curious growing up seeing the ships passing over the levee there right, right outside New Orleans. Um, <clears throat> what was life growing up in Shreveport? Well, Minden, uh, just a little small country town. I loved it. That was our, our life. You know, my brother and I, I've got a, an older brother. He's a year older than I am. We grew up in the country and, uh, you know, hunting and fishing every day, trapping, uh, doing whatever, you know, playing football, baseball, working with my grandpa on the farm. Uh, just living life, man. That was that was a, a, a great life growing up there. And we went to a, a school that probably didn't have, I don't know, 400 kids 
And that was from kindergarten all the way up to the 12th grade, uh, the, the school that we were in. And when we moved, when we finally broke down and dad moved us to Houston, I remember my class itself at Clear Lake, uh, in Clear Lake, Texas, had 832 graduating seniors when I graduated high school. So it was a, a big change, if you will, going from, from country living to the big city of Houston and Clear Lake especially, which is where NASA, uh, the space station is. And so many of my friends and, and uh, uh, high school kids that I went to school with, their parents worked for NASA predominantly. I think I was the only one that had a tow boater uh, that, you know, making money for for the family in the tow boating world, in the large transportation world. Sure. Uh, did your brother also go into the industry? Yes, he sure did. He, uh, we both did. You know, we were around boats and barges our whole life. Like I mentioned, um, you know, from seeing the first one when I was just a kid to uh, 16, I started working. You know, dad had us working around the boats and barges uh, summer times and and holidays and then I went to work. Actually, I was able to get into a program at, at Clear Lake High School where I graduated. Only went a couple of hours a day. And then I was able to work. Probably, I don't even know if it's, I guess I could get in trouble for this, but I was pretty much working full time as a junior and senior in high school. Working in the office, driving a truck, driving supplies to the tow boats, and, uh, delivering supplies and doing crew changes. And, uh, working in the warehouse, stocking the warehouse, keeping inventory. We had our own grocery store. We had our own supplies. So that was my first job, if you will, um, in the uh, tow boating world. That was Coastal Towing. And my brother worked there as well. He later uh, went on and, and spent his entire career, or the majority of it, he worked shoreside as well for a long time. But he spent a, a big chunk of his career on the boats. Uh, he stayed on and became a tankerman, an engineer, and later a, a pilot and captain, and was doing that when he got accepted into the Houston Pilots Association. And that's what he's doing today. He's been a Houston pilot now for well over 20 years, but that was his role. You know, we both worked around boats and barges our whole life, but I was always in intrigued with the shore side, supporting what was going on in the, the marine environment. Uh, whatever job I've had and coastal towing was our training ground. It was a beautiful company. You know, my dad, like I said, he'd gone to work for GB Pickett. There was a gentleman named Red Griffin, who was actually the broker that went out and got the business with international paper. GB had the money to invest in the equipment, so we were delivering that six wool. And as we grew the business, then other customers came in. Hey, what did your father do for them? Was it a port captain type job? Well, he, he started off just learning the business like everybody else. It was so small, so everybody kind of did everything. But it, eventually, he, he became the vice president of operations and an owner in the company. He got some equity in the company, but he was VP of ops for all of the years that I worked there. Switching gears a little bit, uh, were you drawn to anything academically growing up? Well, interesting enough, I just mentioned Red Griffin. Um, he was the, the partner with the Pickets and kind of the commercial guy. So Doyle Pickett, GB's brother, 
was a silent partner. Jimmy sold out to his brother, Doyle. Red Griffin was president of the company, but leaned more towards the commercial side of the business. My dad was the minority owner of the company, and he gravitated towards the operational aspects of it. Uh, took care of all the people, the boats, the barges, M&R, ops, uh, personnel, crewing, maintenance and repair, engineering, all of that. I uh, wanted to go to college. That was always my dream. I had a couple of scholarships, actually, um, that I turned down because I wanted to stay in Houston and continue working at Coastal. I loved being around it, but I did want to go to college. That's how I ended up graduating from University of Houston. By that time, I was dispatching, crew dispatching and, and dispatching uh, and was able to to work days um, and go to night school. And then the week that I worked nights, I went to, to my classes in, in the daytime. I was able to get my degree. And that was all because Red Griffin dangled a carrot and, and said that he would put me in sales if, uh, if I got my degree. So I, I, I kept at it, kept at it, got a degree in finance and, and marketing from University of, in, University of Houston. And did that go directly into just continuing the development of your career? Yeah, you know, at one time I thought I wanted to go into the banking world. Um, I thought it'd be cool to, to be a commercial banker, commercial lender, uh, get involved in, in that. But by the time I, I finished up with my degree in finance um, from University of Houston at Clear Lake City, uh, I had, had reached an income level that actually was supporting me pretty well. And I didn't want to uh, lose the money to go into the banking world. Plus, I just loved it. It's all about the people to me. I just love this industry and what it's all about and the people that, that are doing it, the folks on the boats, most especially the mariners, but all the shoreside support positions for that. Um, so by the time I graduated, he put me in sales. I was hooked. I was, I was very much hooked. But by that time, Tim, you know, I had dispatched, uh, run crew dispatch for about eight years, uh, ran the warehouse, had a stint in training and, and supply purchasing, did a little bit of accounting, uh, payroll of all things. Uh, so a little bit of all of it. And I just loved the business. What I didn't know was they were grooming me to run a business someday. I think the intent at that time was for Red Sun Clay and for me to take over Coastal Toa someday. I think that was what Red and, and Dad had in their mind. So I was able to be involved in so many different aspects of the business. So when I graduated, I stayed right there at, at Coastal and continued my, my uh, career in the, in the towing world. And that was sales? Yes. Yeah. Uh, how, how he was true you... to his word when he told me I would get my degree. He would put me in sales. He did. Yeah. I, I graduated uh, uh, with my degree. He, he immediately put me into the sales role. My uh, first customers were Talbert Oil Company, which is a trading company in Houston, Texas, that uh, were doing a lot of trading in six oil. At that time, Coastal was all heavy oil, and we had migrated from the old steam coiled barges to self-contained hot oil barges at that time. It was a completely different world. We'd gone from single skin to double skin barges 
and uh, we had built a bunch of new boats. So we had really moved forward. You know, we're talking all of the 80s. I think I went to work for Coastal in, uh, well, I know it, July the 31st of 1980. And uh, by the time I graduated, uh, around 1990, working part, working full time and going to school part time, you know, we had a, a pretty significant fleet and I was doing sales at that time for Tauber was my first account and, and Coke, uh, Coke Industries, moving to asphalt and Sixel. Uh, how big was your fleet of boats and barges at the time? About, uh, oh, I probably had, at that time, I think we had 34 boats and uh, roughly, I want to say about uh, 60 barges, 60 Blackwell barges. Where did your career take you from there? Well, uh, I continued on sales and, and kind of built up my knowledge base, learned from Red Griffin, who was, gosh, one of the best uh, sales people in the black hole world. I mean, he was just incredible. He was always the, just a perfect gentleman and just so outgoing and um, just commercially just awesome. He could, I mean, he could just sell anything. And so I learned from him and worked with a gentleman named Pat Collins, who had been with National Marine and uh, a guy named Dave Brazel, who worked at Ingram. Uh, and got another guy named Tim Slaughter. So we, I, that, that was that was the youngin in the in the company and the industry. And they taught me so much. I, I was, was able to spend a lot of time with so many people that, that spent so much time making sure that I was getting an education, uh, the education on the job and what to do, and I loved it. And in 1994, uh, well, no, excuse me, I'm sorry. I, uh, I got the sales job, I wanna say that was in 88. In 91, I met Orrin Ingram in San Antonio, Texas. I was actually going to Talbot Oil Company at a, a big barbecue party at the, uh, NPRA, the National Petroleum Retailers Association meeting, which was once a year in San Antonio. And, um, it's, it still goes on, but under a different group. But everybody from the industry would, would go to San Antonio, and then there was all kinds of opportunities to, you know, dinners and lunches and opportunities to meet various customers or network with, with people from, from the world, you know, that we were in. And, um, actually was coming down a, an elevator to go get a cab and go to Tauber's uh, barbecue and Orrin stepped in the elevator and I recognized him. We didn't know each other. We shared a cab and went to Tauber's party together. Got to know each other a little bit better. Um, he told me if I was ever interested in moving from Houston to give him a call. You got to remember now I'm still working for my father. My father's at Coastal still and uh, Red Griffin and, and my dad. So uh, long story short, I got a divorce and I was ready to get out of Houston, Texas quickly. So uh, I, was just, I was ready to make a move and uh, I called Orrin up and true to his word, he hired me. I came up to uh, Asheville, Tennessee in 1991 to work for Orrin. He was vice president of liquids and they put me on the black hole desk here at Ingram. And interestingly enough, I mentioned a guy named Dave Brazel just a, a, a little bit ago that I worked with at Coastal. 
he had come to work for Ingram. And uh, so our, our liquids group at that time were Dave Brazel, who handled kind of the asphalt. Myself, I handled all of the, the, uh, the black oil, whether it's six oil, VGO, cat feeds, slurry oils, carbon black feed stocks, those types of commodities, all of it having to be heated to, to discharge and keep the viscosity out of it so the pump could pick it up. And then we had Gary Haas, who, who had been with Ingram for a long time, and he was handling the clean oil desk. Had a gentleman named Mr. Dave O'Loughlin, who you'll remember, was on our chemical desk. So he was doing sales for chemicals. I was doing black oil, uh, Gary doing clean, and Dave doing asphalt. And we were supported by a, a lady named Debbie Owen. So it's uh, all those years ago, you know, Debbie's still here. And, and it's done a, had a phenomenal career and, and does such a wonderful job in, in sales and logistics for the liquids group of Ingram still to this day. And of course, Davo, you know, was president and CEO prior to me, but uh, it would go back many years as friends and coworkers. Now, were you, Davo, and, and the group focused on sales and Miss Debbie did all the logistics planning or was it sort of a joint role? Uh, it was kind of a it was kind of a joint role. I mean, we still had to use the logistics, or we're using logistics for the big bigger piece of the company, the dry cargo group. But like the group that that I worked with, that was all unit tow operations. It was a different model then than what we have now. I mean, the ten thousand barrel barges, the two hundred and eighty seven of them, I think, is what we have today. That's all line haul that we can integrate in with our dry cargo. Uh, group and you know it's logistically handled by the liquids logistics team and dry as well back then the piece that i handled was all unit tow and and by that you had a boat that had a set of barges that was with it continuously same barges all the time we tried not to to turn toes okay. and we were selling it as a unit so a boat two barges would be a fifty thousand barrel sale if you will, and we typically we were either doing it on a price per barrel basis, and the customer we talked to the customers they'd have a requirement at fifty thousand barrels of VGO to move from Houston to Chicago, and I would work up the bid and uh, submit the bid, hopefully get the business, and, and generally did. Ingram's always been the, the company. High quality company that customers love to to use, and, and we executed so well. But that was all unit to business, and uh, so I was lucky there. It was kind of a lot easier, I think, than the line haul piece. Was that all just one cargo? It was all varied. I mean, it was, it was still that old heavy black oil, what we call residual oil. Unre you know, when you refine a, a barrel of crude oil. You're trying to squeeze all the light ends out of the, the barrel of crude and what's left is that residual product. What can you do with it? And you can process it and make asphalt. You can make um, uh, roofers flux, you know, to make shingles. You could uh, process the six oil as a bunker fuel for ships, uh, blend it down, you know, at that time. Uh, some of it was going to road asphalt 
the VGO would be further processed as a feedstock to, to make more gasoline to a cat cracker. But it was all various commodities coming out of that last residual piece of, of the crude oil barrel uh, through further processing. And, you know, carbon black feedstock was a big car, uh, cargo that we carried at the time, a real heavy zero gravity material. Were, were those interchangeable or compatible cargos or was there cleaning in between loadings? The only time we had to worry about any of that was if crude oil was involved, true crude oil. Okay. I mean, and I'm talking about moving crude that you process and it creates this bottom of the barrel material that we were moving came from crude, but you wouldn't want to put crude on top of it. And you certainly would never heat crude. And if you put a hot material like asphalt onto a crude oil bottom, that was a big no-no because of the water content and the light ends that are still in the crude, it can be explosive. So, so you, had, you still had to watch, but for the most part, you could load six oil over VGO, VGO over six oil, slurry oil over whatever. But there were some things that you had to be very careful of. Now where Dave Lachlan was at the chemical desk, it's the same thing that we're doing today. Parts every time it's discharged for the most part is going into a cleaning yard to be cleaned out before it goes into another cargo, unless it's the exact same stuff with the exact same customer. All right. How long were you in that role with Ingram? From 91 until 94. <clears throat> in 1994, um, the market was overbuilt. Uh, we as an industry can't let a good thing last forever. Uh, if, if, uh, if, the, if the market's going really good, everybody gets into the business and wants to start building equipment. And the next thing you know, you've got a saturation of equipment. But along with that as well, you saw starting to see refinery technology getting better and better. So there was less bottom of the barrel through the processing of crude. You know, at one time, Tim, in like 1991, 1992, you could say every barrel of crude oil is gonna create 5% of that barrel of crude is gonna be a black oil that you're gonna be moving. It has to be sold somewhere or blended or put into something else that started decreasing over time to where it got down to 2%, maybe 1% today. So, you know, the technology at the refinery side, and you started seeing a lot of the electrical companies like Commonwealth Edison in Chicago used to burn that heavy six oil to produce BTU for electricity, Mississippi Power and Light, Florida Power and Light. They were all using that black oil well, then they started shifting from that to more coal or natural gas, you know, as we see today. So the, the demand for the black oil business started decreasing and you still had a lot of barges in it. And the, the point of my story is in 1994, that it had reached that critical point where it was probably time for some consolidation in that business. It just so happened that in 1994, the motor vessel, Dave Brazel, hit the Sunshine Bridge and dumped about 7,000 barrels of reduced crude in the Mississippi River, and it was a mess. And Mr. Ingram, Oren's dad, Bronson, I think decided that it was probably time to get out of that business because the risk was not worth the reward. So guess who he sold it to? Coastal Towing, the company that I came okay. from. Okay. 
And I went back to coastal towing with the equipment, along with Dave Brazel and Gary Haas. We all went to uh, Houston, Texas to work for coastal. Okay. And it was still in sales? Yes. How long did that last? And well, let me back up. How many barges, how many tank barges did Ingram have? Eighty. Ninety-four, eighty. Yeah. Okay, and then did you have assigned boats for liquids? I can't remember the number of boats that were sold to Coastal, but there was a number of boats that went with the eighty barges, and it mingled into Coastal's fleet of what they had, and created a pretty significant black oil carrier, if you will. It was uh, a very niche market, but the industry needed that consolidation and um it was a it was a good company it was great great you know good equipment good double skin equipment hot oil had boats and a lot of the ingram associates that were on the mariner side went with the acquisition as well is coastal still around no they are not have they sell or shut down uh a little bit of both i'll explain to that i want to correct something though when i went back to coastal towing, they actually put me in the human resources department. And, and I did human resources for a while and then kind of general management and then took a job as vice president of operations for them just shortly after I went back. Uh, and Dave and, and Gary were, were in sales roles. Dave left to go to work for Brent and Gary left to go to work for Shell Oil. Um, and I was VP of operations at, at Coastal for, for a little while and then went and then they moved me back into sales. So it's it's been a an interesting career where I've kind of spent about half my time in operations and, and the other half on the commercial side. And how long were you with Coastal that time? Six years. And it was it ended at, as a VP or had you gone back to sales before then? I was over administration at that time, yes, and, and left after six years and went to work for Shell Oil. Uh, I mentioned just a second ago, Gary Haas, who had been with uh, me here at Ingram and then with me at Coastal Towing, he went to work for Shell and then he recruited me to come to work for Shell. It was actually called Equiva Trading, which was a partnership between Saudi Aramco, Texaco, and Shell. And um, I took a job. I was in charge of the uh, barging activity for five refineries, a couple in the Port Arthur area, one in Deer Park that's still there today, and then two refineries in the Lower Miss, one at Convent and one at Norco. And were you overseeing the whole, I guess, department over sales logistics, the whole deal? I was overseeing anything, any barge activity that came into any one of those refineries. I was, if it was clean or crude, that was my responsibility. Okay. Whether it was a supply deal, because you had a lot of supply stuff. You had your feedstock coming in, which is your crude, and I had the gathering as well, but the crude oil coming in, but the, the components coming out, or the finished gasoline or diesel. I was responsible for all of the, the barging transportation and all of the contracts that that we had to get to support that. I think at one time I had 17 or 18 unit tows working under my direction, serving all five of these refineries. And then I would buy in from other carriers in the industry 
what we couldn't handle with those uh, term charters that we had. And uh, I guess following your career, bouncing around a little bit more, what happened after that one? That was in uh, 2000 uh, when I went to work there. It was, a, it was a good job. I always wanted to see the other side of it. And uh, a big lesson learned, you know, up until this time, I've worked for some really great mentors. I mean, just had a phenomenal career from 1980. I mean, we're 20 years in. I've worked for Red Griffin, my father, uh, Orrin Ingram, Dan Martin, Neil Deal, Craig Phillip. I mean, I've worked for some really super people that invested a lot of time in me and teaching me and, and putting me in the right place. And I, I felt pretty good about the barging business, and but I always wanted to understand the other side of it. And uh, so I went to work for Shell. They put me on the trading floor and I actually worked for the Marine Group, signed a contract with the Marine Group department, but I was positioned on the trading floor and I was surrounded by traders. So these five refineries that I'm handling, not only am I worrying about the supply coming in so that we can make products to sell, but when they would sell the products delivered, it was my job to make sure that they understood the pricing of that so they could put that in their trade, what that cost was, and then make sure that we executed on it and delivered the barrels appropriately as per the contract. So it was an interesting job and I wanted to trade oil. That was my goal when I went to Shell. I, I, it was my goal to become a trader. And uh, funny story, it's a life lesson. I was three months away from my contract expiring and a trading position came open and the trading manager at the time came to me and said, it's yours, but we've got to go through the shell process. You've got to fill out an application. We're going to put it out, see who else applies for it. But for the most part, we think we, we'd love for you to have it, but you got to get the process. And I had to get my boss at the time to release me from my contract with the Marine group. And he refused to do so. With just three months to go, you said? Yeah, and the process would have taken three months. So I'm not going to mention his name, but he's not a friend of mine. And uh, But you know what? He probably should be because he did me the best favor ever. He taught me a lesson. And that is, if I have the opportunity to help someone better their life, if someone has an opportunity to move up in an organization that I'm involved in or have any kind of decision in and we can move people to meet their potential or exceed it. I want to be behind that. And if they can do so elsewhere, I'm behind that as well. It's all about people being happy and, and being their best selves and providing for their families and doing what makes them happy. That means everything to me. That's all I care. That's, that's what drives me more than any other thing. And uh, working for someone who was so short-sighted that he wouldn't allow for me to do that, I resigned. Uh, that day. And uh, I immediately went to work as president of a, of a growing company called Florida Marine. How long had they been in existence when you arrived on the scene? Dennis had just started, I think, putting it together in Dennis Pazetic. had just started putting the company together in like 1998. And uh, this was 2001. It was, it was shortly after 9-11 because I was on the trading floor when that happened. And uh, 
that we'll never forget that. But I was working my my two weeks out uh, before going to work for Florida Marine. I was so lucky, and I have been lucky. When I started my career around boats and barges and driving trucks and doing whatever, I've, I've knocked on wood from 1980 to now. I've never experienced any. Uh, I've been employed for that whole time in this, this beautiful industry. I've been so fortunate, so lucky, and so blessed. But Dennis hired me immediately. I called him and told him that I was leaving Shell, and he hired me. And two weeks later, I was in Mandeville, Louisiana, uh, renting in a, 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 a townhome, sight unseen. And uh, we had our office on Poydras and Camp Street, downtown New Orleans. And how was that uh, developing Fort Marine? It was great. Uh, uh, some of the best times of my life. You know, Dennis himself uh, is a remarkable man. He had created, he'd gone to work as an ops manager or port captain for Florida Marine, which was owned by a couple of grain traders. And they were operating out of Pensacola, Florida. And he went in and started brokering uh, the jet fuel contracts for the, for the military bases in, in Florida. And one of the owners needed to sell uh, part of the company and later sold the whole company, but the company paid that out for Dennis. Dennis bought the company and through the proceeds that he was making, paid the, the gentleman out and became owner of the equipment. It was a bunch of old double-sided single bottom, clean oil barges and a bunch of old boats that tell you, they, they, they probably wouldn't have measured up to sub M today. And when I went to work there, we started aggressively pursuing um, the major refiners as our customer base. At the time, he was doing a lot of work for trading companies. I came in with a sales background and an operating background and started moving Florida Marine towards more supply side driven uh, commerce. And we started going to work for the Shells and Exxons and Marathons and these companies that kept the lights on and then through a relationship with a gentleman named Russell Flowers, who was another great mentor of mine and, and dear friend, God rest his soul. He taught me so much. He started building barges for Florida Marine and we were leasing them. We didn't have any money. But then when Dennis got to a point where those lease barges and the old boats that we could put to work were able to cash flow to the point where we could go out and get uh, financing. Uh, Dennis started building barges for his own account. So that's how we grew Florida Marine. It all, it all kind of started with the leveraging of, of what we had and the cash flow. And you couldn't do that today with that equipment. That equipment wouldn't be allowed to work, but we just hit that perfect opportunity where we were able to make money. Get Russell came in he was building barges at Jeff Boat, or Trinity, excuse me, at that time, and had a great contract. So even when Dennis started building barges, I think he was doing so under Russell's contract. So he was getting, you know, some good pricing. And we built a lot of 30,000 barrel clean oil vapor recovery barges. I mean, state-of-the-art equipment. And uh, that was our bread and butter, was gasoline, diesels, and, and, and blending components that made gasolines, your, your naphthas and raffinates and alkalates and, and all of the, those various 
cargoes, and we were running a unit tow operation there as well. So FMT, FMT is strictly liquids. Uh, no, not now. They're, they've got some dry, a dry cargo presence as well. Okay. Well, where did your uh, how did your career develop with FMT? How long were you there, and when did you part ways with them? I was there um, until 2012, <clears throat> and and uh, we built the company up. I think when I left, gosh, I want to say we had almost 800 associates and probably close to 300 tank barges. Probably the youngest fleet in the industry, and we built a lot of brand new boats at Eastern and uh, some boats that we were building out of Bayou La Battery of various horsepower, state of the art, had a wonderful training facility, had our own simulator, worked with Delgado, put all that together, had our own school, training school. It was pretty impressive going from where we did. And when I say we, I'm talking about Dennis and, and myself and the rest of the folks that, that started that company and kind of built it out. But it was really impressive. And I look back on that so fondly because I learned so much. We really took that thing to places that one can only dream of. I mean, we were building equipment. People thought we were crazy. And uh, but we how, got many, how many boats and barges were there when you started? I think when I went to work there um, and, and Gosh, don't hold me to this, but I want to say there was 12 barges maybe and uh, maybe six boats, five boats. Okay. All right. And what happened in 2012, I believe you said? I went to work um, for SCF. I had actually worked for Dennis until 2010. My official date of leaving him was 2012. But I, I sat on the bench for a couple of years in uh, Wisconsin. Dennis and I had a a very amicable, friendly um, departure from each other. And um, I had a non-compete and I sat on the bench in Wisconsin and bought a dog kennel and was boarding dogs and uh, training dogs. I boarded cats. I'd board anything but a snake. You could chase me all over Nashville, Tennessee with a snake. I don't like snakes. But, but I would pretty much board anything. Hell, I even boarded a horse one time, I think. But had a little 11-acre spread with a nice building on it. Heated kennels, indoor-outdoor runs. And I had a little staff, a little team working for me and a couple of groomers. And I did that for two years and loved it and kind of got away from the whole barging world, which I missed tremendously. But I couldn't, couldn't do it. I was under a non-compete. And the, the day it expired... Uh, January, or excuse me, December 31st of 2011 on uh, January 1st of 2012, I accepted employment with SCF and I actually went to St. Louis and went to work for them on January the 4th of uh, 2012. A gentleman named Tim Power had hired me to come in. They had bought Waxler Towing in Memphis, Tennessee five years prior and Ted Waxler was still running that business in Memphis Ted left in 2012 and Tim Power wanted me to integrate the operations in Memphis up to St. Louis. So that's what I did. I, I brought their liquids business up and went through all their tank barges. And we uh, put a pretty heavy inspection uh, program together, went through all of those barges, and got everything up to, to just diamond shaped. And uh, 
just state of the art, had everything contracted on day rates with major customers, uh, serious customers and on and the refining side, predominantly on the clean oil. We did have two toes, two boats and four barges working in the, the black oil heated oil sector, but everything else was clean. And I, I was there for a while. Um, that project kind of got that done. And then I actually left and, and started a consulting company in 2014. And SCF was my, my first customer. They, they kept me on as an advisor. And I was a consultant to their, their liquids department as one of my customers. And one of the things that I agreed with, uh, with Tim was that I would not do anything commercially. That way there was no conflict of interest. So as I was consulting, I really focused my attention on operations. Everything from writing safety manuals, ops manuals, to uh, I even had one customer that was moving oil out of the Bakken's and the Dakotas um, by rail to uh, St. Louis going into a terminal there. And then we were chartering barges and, and delivering the crew down to the, to the Gulf. So it was going from coming out of the ground to New Orleans. I was involved in every aspect of that logistical stream and, and loved it. That was one of my customers. And I, I did some work for a lot of the towing companies that are in business today in, in various roles. Um, and then I guess in uh, 2015, uh, Dennis Pazentine called me and wanted to hire me back. And he actually bought my entire year uh, to where I couldn't work for anyone else. I, I just did consulting for him and him only. And that was all commercial. I was out uh, getting contracts and, and bidding on contracts and doing some work there to, to get him some business. Uh, God, I know I'm probably boring everybody to tears right now. I hope nobody's fallen and hit their head on anything. In 2016, I went to work for Clay Griffin. Now, remember when I mentioned to you at the very start of this conversation, Red Griffin, who told me, if you get your degree, I'll put you in sales. His yes, son, sir. Clay, wanted to build a little asphalt company. So in 2016, I completely devoted myself to Clay. So all of 2016 and 2017, we literally started that company on a beverage napkin. We drew up what we wanted. We designed four state-of-the-art asphalt barges, probably the best barges ever built for that commodity, ever. I mean, these barges had everything that you could possibly want on. We had declination in the, the bottoms of the, the cargo tanks. We had heat traces around the sumps the barges would basically pump their self. I mean, it was just wonderful pieces of equipment. And this business is all about relationships and taking care of relationships and being good to your word and taking care of people and they take care of you. So as we're building those barges, I'm writing the ops manual and the safety manual and the security manual. And I went to a gentleman named Russell Flowers, who I mentioned to you previously, my mentor, we needed two boats. And he actually owned a couple of boats that he was leasing to Mark Canoy at ACBL. And he got Mark to lease those boats to us. So now we had boats and we had barges. I went out and found the people who were actually folks that used to work for Coastal Towing, crewed the boats, got the equipment vetted, got 
contracts started out with customers, got everything vetted and off we were. And then uh, I became the dispatcher salesperson and dispatcher. And I mean, I did it all. It was, uh, it was Clay Griffin, a gentleman named Frank John, myself and a, and a, a lady named Jamie Halter, who we hired in as a consultant on the compliance side. It was really Frank John and I, we were dispatching it and working it. It was only two toes. And uh, I did that until 2018. He had a company, it was off the ground, turnkey, it was running, contracted, doing well. And I sent a, an email to an old friend of mine named Orrin Ingram and said, I've got time in my schedule as a consultant. If you ever need any help with anything, give me a call. He called me that afternoon. And uh, long story short, I came to work for Ingram Bard's company and uh, in their liquids department. And Tim, here I am. Here you are indeed. Uh, before we continue on the, 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 the final run with Ingram here, what brought you to Wisconsin? My wife is from there. <clears throat> she was uh, born and raised and uh, grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. And through the years um, of our marriage, we'd go to Wisconsin and I just fell in love with it. You know, you got two months of, oh my God, and then you got 10 months of, this is really cool. And I'm, I'm pretty outdoorsy. You know, once again, I'm able to hunt and fish and ride my four-wheeler and go kayaking and, and, and do all the things I love to do outdoors. Just love the environment, love the climate in the summertime, especially. My wife had followed me. I actually met my wife, Mary, when I was working for Ingram the first time. And that's when we got together. And she's followed me in my career all the way through that uh, whole story that I just told you about. And when, when I was working for Florida Marine as president in 07, I bought a home in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin, with the intent of it becoming a summer home or a place for Mary to go she was uh, going up and spending a lot of time taking care of her mother, who had some health problems at the time. And uh, I was traveling so much with Florida Marine. What difference did it matter? She was alone in Folsom, Louisiana, or in Chippewa Falls where, around her mother, her sister, and her brother. So it made sense. So the home that we have, that we bought up there, we, we kind of gutted added on to it, made it our own, and it became our home. And I uh, started uh, working remote before working remote was, was cool. Uh, back in 07, I was traveling every two weeks. I would work two weeks from Wisconsin when I could, and, and, and I would work two weeks in Mandeville. I was president of Florida Marine. You pick and choose your times. Sometimes I might be in Mandeville for a month or I might be somewhere else, but it was all about just being very disciplined about the organization of my calendar and understanding where I need to be and when. But I did take opportunity to work out of Chippewa for uh, every, every chance I, I could. And from that time forward, I've, I've done that. I've worked from there at every one of the companies that I mentioned. And you said you met your wife during your first tenure at Ingram. Was she in Nashville at the time? Yes. What brought her there? She was working for um, one of the big car dealerships here and uh, then had gone to work for a big uniform 
company and uh, the apartment I lived in in Bellevue. She, she lived there. We, we met there and, and started dating and, and, and later got married. Did you have children? We have one son, Everett, who is uh, grown and, and married, and I have three grandchildren. You said Everett was your son's name? Yes. Did he follow you into the business? No, not the barging business, but the fuel business he did. He, he went to work. He's living in Wisconsin now, not 10, 15 minutes from, from us in our home there. But he went to work for a company called uh, named CHS. I'm sure you've heard of that. Yes. Uh, and he started selling fuel to some of the big farmers and, and construction companies in the area, selling diesel, gasoline, dryer gas, uh, uh, and, and lubes, and you name it. Is he still with them today? He's not with them, but he is with a cooperative doing the same job. When he went to work for CHS, he was actually working at the co-op on loan to them from CHS. And I think after about five years, he just went to work directly for the co-op, but doing really good, understands the fuel business and fuel markets. And I'm really proud of it. He's, he's doing exceptionally well. Good to hear. I do have a nephew. My brother, who I mentioned is a Houston ship pilot, his oldest, Brian, is a second mate working on a ship for Crowley on the uh, West Coast. Uh, okay. Products from California to Alaska. Okay. Well, back to your, uh, your tenure at Ingram. So you joined back the liquids group. Were you vice president, SVP? And I, when I started with Ingram in, when was that? 2018, I think you were already a senior vice president at that point. I came on board as vice president of logistics, uh, liquids logistics in 2018. And then I think about three months into it, I'd have to go back and look at it, Tim. So my apologies if, if I'm off. But um, then Ord promoted me to an SVP, a senior vice president. And it wasn't just liquids. He just, it was over the business unit liquids. So then I had not just the logistics piece of it, but the sales piece of it reported up to me as well. And uh, I just started running that, <clears throat> that piece and uh, that business unit, you know, for, for the company and, and loved it, loved every bit of it. And then I guess in 2019 or 2020, I was promoted to COO, Senior VP and Chief Operating Officer of the company reporting to Dave O'Loughlin, who at that time elevated from president and COO to president and CEO. So I worked directly for Dave O. And uh, was COO until last year when Dave retired in uh, February, February 1st of 20, and the years are getting kind of weird. In February of 2022, I became CEO. And, and president of the company and was blessed to, by uh, and flattered by the, the Ingram family that they had that much trust in me after all these years to, to, to take this job um, and, and was so proud to have worked for, for Davo. You know, if you go back in time in our original connection back when we were young associates on sales, various sales desks to where he had done with his career and, and where my career had done. It was just kind of weird, except I was kind of like a bad penny just hopping all over the place. And uh, uh, 
moving around and, and doing what I needed to do, but wouldn't change a second of it. I absolutely love this industry and it's because of the people. And, and you'll hear me say that a thousand times. Uh, the relationships I've made, so many folks have put their care and trust in me and taught me and mentored me and, and still do to this day. I've got uh, a few people here that report to me, but I learned more from them probably than, than they do me. So um, it's, uh, I, I will say this, it's beautiful to be back here and, and I have every intent to retire here. Um, I've, I've come back home and I think uh, this will be my last stop before you can come catch me fishing on Lake Michigan or Lake Minnesota. Speaking of which, is retirement on the horizon for you? Not imminent. Uh, not, not any time. Uh, well, gosh, I hope not. The um, if, if I have my way, I'd like to work another four, maybe five years. But uh, four years, uh, obviously, uh, I think it's important now to start the process and already have of what the secession looks like after me. If I have my way and, and, and the way it feels, Aaron Barrett will succeed me. Uh, when I retire, he will, he will take over this company. And, and I wanna make sure that he's uh, ready to rock and roll when that, when that time happens. But I'd, I'd love to work another, another four years. We'll, we'll, uh, as long as I can add value, buddy, that, that's the main thing. That's the other thing. It's, it's it's very important for me to feel like I'm adding something to the equation. Yes, sir. Uh, what are your uh, aside from catching a few fish? Any any big plans for that retirement down the road? Are you not looking that far? You know, I haven't I haven't really thought about it that much. I make jokes about it all the time. I talk about getting my license and driving to car ferry between Gills Rock. Uh, on Door County and Washington Island, back and forth, back and forth. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. I thought about getting me a nice boat, doing some charter fishing on uh, Lake Michigan. I, that's probably my favorite thing to do. I love chasing salmon in the summer months on Lake Michigan. I just love it. And uh, I think about that, you know, um, Maybe I'll hang my consulting shingle up someday and just take projects. You know, um, if Aaron had a project for me or, or whatever, I might entertain that. But I, I, I think after doing it this long and being involved in the day to day, and I, and I look back, you know, and, um, at where I came from and, and what I've been able to do in my career, I've been so blessed to do. I think when it's time for me to step off, I'll probably just step off. I talk a lot, but it, you know, the, the charter fishing or, or something that might be a little bit more closer to, to what the reality of it will be. Um, if not, why leave? You know, why, why leave until you're, you're ready? But by the same token, I don't want to be a barrier to the relevancy and transformation that will need to continue uh, for this company to be successful for, for many, many more years to go. Switching gears entirely. Tell me when you first met Z. Dave Deloach. Oh, Lord. Um, I probably actually met his cousin, A. Dave, before I met Z. Dave. 
I think Z Dave met my father, maybe at the dock in Monroe, Louisiana, that I, that I referenced earlier. Uh, but his cousin A Dave was a pilot, I believe, for Coastal Toy at, at, at a time. And then when they started their company together, I knew A Dave quite well and uh, through that, then Z. But over the years, working through AWO and various other organizations for advocacy efforts for the industry uh, as a whole, you know, Z was very much committed and involved in, in those types of efforts to, to have a positive influence on the, on the industry. And, you know, I was doing the same thing, um, whether it was for coastal towing or Florida Marine or SCF or, or whomever. So I can't remember the exact date, but it's, I mean, we're probably talking about 30 plus years, I would imagine. Did you know to realize that when I look back and realize that I've been kind of kicking around this thing for 42 years, it's, it's, it's kind of makes me really think. Tell me about your memories of meeting and then associating with Craig Phillip over the years. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I, I had never met Well, I had met Craig, but it was kind of in passing until I came to work. You know, when Orrin offered me the job in, in 91, I had to interview with Craig. And that was the first time that I had uh, actually met him. What a wonderful gentleman and, and just such a brilliant, brilliant person. Um, I was so intimidated by him because he was so brilliant that I never wanted to open my mouth and, and just appear completely stupid. I mean, you know, he is just so smart and so ahead of his time and so on board and, and thinking so far ahead of everybody else. Craig is one of those people that uh, I have nothing but, but positives to say about. And he was always a gentleman to me and still is. And uh, I just think the world of him. What was his position when you signed on with Ingram? Oh, Neil Deal was chairman emeritus. There was a gentleman named Les Sutton, who I think was president. Oren was VP of liquids. Dan Martin, I think was VP of dry. Craig was in, I, I don't know if he was COO. I can't remember what his exact position was, but he was up in the executive uh, ranks of Ingram when, when I came to work here. Any other interesting uh, memories or good stories from anything along the way from 1980 to yesterday? Man, there's been a lot of stories. Um, probably shouldn't repeat any of them uh, that were some of the real interesting ones, but it's been one heck of a, of a career. I'll say this, uh, it's been so rewarding. I have nothing but the greatest of respect for the Mariners, the professional Mariners. I mean, these folks that sacrifice their time and go out and spend, you know, a, a month at a time away from home, perfecting their craft and understanding the science behind it, but the artistry behind it, it and, and just watching people navigate different currents and different river levels with different tow sizes and managing a crew, managing a, a business, if you will, that boat's a business. 
and that, that captain and, and pilot managing that, and the, the, the engineer keeping things running, and the deck crew getting it all done. I have nothing but mad respect for all of that. So when I think back over time, some of my best stories have probably been with, uh, you know, the folks that, that spent the majority of their time working on the boats and they've taught me so much. You know, I, I can't, I've been around boats and barges, it seems like my whole life, but I, I would never, uh, you know, and I have a lot of respect for the folks that truly get that on the shore side as well, that we support the, the, the marine side, you know, and, and I'm a firm believer in this and, and everybody needs to understand all of our jobs are important. We're all a cog in the wheel. It all has to happen for us to connect and be successful. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, if the boat's not running, the rest of it's a moot point. And, and so we are here to support the mariner environment. And I've all so believe in servant leadership and, 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 and how can we better the lives of our mariners and, and keep uh, production going and, and keep people as happy as we possibly can and, and, and do what we can as a collective unit. So the stories you ask about, I mean, there's just been so many. I mean, I can tell you some crazy stories that make your hair catch on fire, but um, it probably wouldn't, <laughs> that would probably be edited out pretty quickly and uh, rightly so. Uh, just through the years, you know, the, the, the big thing to me, Tim, is watching the times change. You know, you, you go back to 1980, well, I'm around boats before that, really, but, uh, oh, 19, I could tell you, one time, uh, going out, the young, there was a guy out on the barges, uh, not wearing a shirt, I'll never forget it, with a pair of nunchucks, man. He's flipping those things around and hit himself in the head, knocked himself out, you know? And I'm looking at my dad like, what the hell did this happen? This is kind of cool. I want to work in this world. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of just stories, but the, the it's just changed from the, the, the 70s to 80s to 90s, 2000, and we're such more responsible and, and more uh, proactive around being responsible to the safety of our people and our associates, uh, people in nearby vicinity of our equipment, and, uh, the environment, property, uh, all of that is just a different world. And I can remember when it was quite different. I, I, I can remember when people were hyper-focused on the money and, uh, they wanted everybody not to get hurt, but I don't know that there was a huge investment in that back then. And, and today it's the, the thing that we do. It's the most important thing that we do. You know, commerce is secondary. The safety of our associates is number one. And, and, and trying to impart that to our people so they don't think that that's just lip service or, or something that we say because it sounds cool. No, it really means that much to us uh, here at, at Ingram. And I think collectively for our industry, we want everybody to be safe and no one to get hurt. Uh, I like to go back and remember watching people do some crazy things with single skin barges. And, uh, you know, now you've got double skin equipment, state of the art, uh, 
spill sticks and monitors and alarm systems that that if you use them correctly will keep you from having any issues and uh, we've just come so far and it'll be interesting to see what that next evolution is going to be with all of the technology that's coming out today and, and so rapidly changing uh, for the better. And what does get the competitive landscape look like today versus 1980? Well, you, you've, I mean, it's obviously narrowed down. I mean, I could, uh, I could probably name the majority of them here within 10 seconds. I mean, you've got some big balance sheet companies, big companies that, that have healthy balance sheets that can weather the storms and do things right. You're starting to see more of that. And that's because of the consolidation through the years. But if you go back 40 years, there was a lot of logos. Have you ever seen that poster? It's got all of the logos of the various companies that were in business. You know, it was just amazing how many of them there were. And they're, they've, they've been swallowed up uh, over time. And there's just not that many of them anymore, especially when you talk about the, the mom, pop, the family companies. I mean, here, Ingram, you know, we're a family company. You know, when you look at the Goldings and the Blessies and LaBeouf, you know, but outside of that, I mean, it's, it's you know, hopefully I didn't miss it, like Florida Marines family company, but the, the, the majority of them, it's, it's just bigger companies. I mean, you know, we're, we're the biggest. We just have to be family owned, but the landscape has certainly come down. Uh, not that many. This is a hard business. This is a costly business. It's a big barrier to entry. And now you throw sub M into it to inspect these boats and the cost that that's going to, uh, to drive into the system to keep these boats at a, at a point where they can be certified by the Coast Guard and it, as an inspected vessel. Um, it's just, it's gonna be hard uh, for, for the smaller uh, companies to make it because you've got just a tremendous and the compliance side that the customers rightly so ask for and the safety initiatives that our customers ask for it's all important um, and vital but there's also cost implications for that and now we're talking about sustainability and, and a carbon footprint reduction to zero that all of those things it's just it's a big barrier to entry and um, I think the landscape's going to get small. What is the <coughs> the fleet capacity in this country, dry cargo and liquids total? Do you know? Roughly? On a tonnage on a tonnage basis or pure what? number? Barge fleet uh, barge fleets. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> right off the top of my head, I want to say, and I could be off here on the liquid side. You know, I'd rather, I better not speculate on that because I'm going to be off. But I think on the liquid side, I want to say there's about 3,500 barges, and that includes 10K and 30K. <clears throat> and uh, uh, high pressure as well. And then I would say on the dry side, you're probably somewhere around 15,000. No kidding. Open and covered. Sure. Have you heard of the maritime throwdown? Yes. Yeah, one of our associates out of Houston, I think, is the the creator of that, is he not? Yeah, there's an episode on my podcast with him, actually. He's he's sponsoring the show. Um, 
What do you think about that program? I think it's great. I, I, I think it's great. I think anything that brings positive attention to, to what we do and what our industry does, and, uh, I think it's I think it's fantastic. Well, that just about wraps up my questions. I do appreciate your time, sir. Yeah, you bet. I hope you got what you needed from this. I, I, my God, it seems like I've been talking until the spit ran out, so I probably just bored everybody to death.